God has been faithful in, in, in answering so many prayers. And as James mentioned, uh, there's a whole network of people, of pastors and churches, and people you have not met yet, maybe someday you will, maybe someday you won't, who care about this church, care about you, and pray for you guys faithfully and want only God's will for you in this community and, and all that God is already doing. We already celebrate that. So it's a great honor and privilege to see um, God do uh, what he said he was going to do. Uh, this afternoon, I'd like to speak to you from Psalm 46.1. And it's a very familiar verse, a verse that reads, should I turn this one off so we don't have the, there you go. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Um, as someone who's been preaching for decades, um, uh, what people have told me is when I go to visit to preach, I've got hundreds and thousands of messages, so you pick one and you preach it. But when I got saved, I made the mistake of reading Spurgeon, and Spurgeon says, you never do what people tell you to, tell you to do, number one. <laughs> so whatever people tell you to do, don't do that. And he says, you always pray about it, and uh, you study and if God wants to lay something fresh, then you'd lay something fresh. And as I was thinking about the church, and I've been in pretty good contact with James, um, I just felt burdened and led to come from Psalm 46.1. Uh, now, I don't believe in coincidences, and I don't believe in accidents. Uh, I know that for a fact because I was born in 68. I'm 51 years old. I'm the youngest of eight kids. I was born in Los Angeles. And so there is no reason whatsoever for me to be here with you today. Absolutely none. Except that Jesus saved me in the late 80s and that he put a call and a burden on my life to plant churches, which started in California. And then he laid a burden on my heart to move to Baltimore, Maryland, and to start churches. And then that, uh, that eventually developed into helping church planters uh, get started, and here I am today. And so I don't believe in accidents and mistakes, and so I believe that there's at least one person, there's at least one person here today that's actually in trouble, like trouble, trouble, trouble. And they need to be reminded of all that we've already sang, all that we've already read, and they need to hear afresh that God is our refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. This verse is a great assurance in times of trouble. And uh, as I told the group prior to this, I don't really like when people say stuff and they just assume you know what you're talking about and I know what I'm talking about. Because half the times I don't even know what I'm talking about. So I need to talk about what I know what I'm talking about. So trouble, what is trouble? A trouble base level is just a disturbance of what is. That's what it is. And, 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 and trouble is, is when something is a certain way and then something comes and interrupts that something. Trouble is something that you experience and trouble is typically measurable. It's, it's, it's you know, I'm from California, we have something called earthquakes when the ground shakes. I know a lot of you East Coasters don't know nothing about that. But out there the ground will shake. Right? And, and we have a, this, this Richter scale in which we measure them. And when they're like 1.0s, you don't really feel them. But when they're 6s and 7s, it, it's like, whoa, I'm in an ap uh, apocalyptic type of movie. 
And, and when we talk about trouble, some trouble is just a tremor, but some trouble is really heavy and significant. And these, 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 these troubles can be outside of you or inside of you. They can be things out there, and they can be things in here. Uh, David wrote a psalm, and he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? There was trouble within the soul. So we can have trouble outside, we can have trouble inside. And there is different types of trouble. When we usually think about trouble, we think about external troubles, like flat tires and COVID and government and persecution. But you know, some of the trouble that we're facing today in our lives is trouble we made. Like we can make trouble too, right? We can make trouble by our decisions. We can make trouble of how we're perceiving and processing the world and the choices we're making. Sometimes the trouble that we're facing is trouble we brought on ourselves because of the choices we made. But we also face trouble that other people brought into our lives. We didn't want the trouble, but they brought the trouble. I like to call it drama. And uh, Pastor James has heard me say for years now, he's worked with me, I don't do drama. I don't like when people say they're Christians and they like to live in drama, which is basically unrepentant, open, rebellious sin, right? And, and, but sometimes the trouble that's in our lives ain't even our trouble. It's the trouble that someone else brought into our lives. Uh, but then there's just sometimes that trouble is rooted and grounded in providence. And it seems like trouble comes in all shapes and sizes. Some trouble is very expensive, monetarily, but some trouble is very expensive emotionally. It's taxing, it's painful, it's long. And some trouble is very diverse. It may start off financially and go into emotionally. It's all, there's all different types of trouble out there. And it does seem like trouble tends to find you, doesn't it? And it seems like as much as we try to kind of inoculate ourselves to it, it can find you in so many ways. When we think about trouble and this verse and times of trouble, sometimes we tend to think, yeah, you know, you go in this season and then you hit some trouble. And you go in this season and then you hit some trouble. And you go in this season and then you hit some trouble. The truth is you always in trouble. You're just not aware you almost trouble you in. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like when you have little tiny kids. I got five kids. They're 28 and their youngest is 20. Like when they were younger, they didn't know how much trouble they was in. They didn't know that their dad was broke. I was a preacher. I was broke all the time. You know what I mean? They didn't know when we were three months behind on mortgage. They didn't know. They was in a lot of trouble. They just didn't know. They didn't know that I, didn't, I wasn't raised and born in a Christian home, and I didn't know what I was doing when I was parenting. <laughs> I was figuring it out on the run. I was reading books and reading the Bible and watching other people, and I was experimenting on my first few kids. This is the way it is. And yes, I sat him down and apologized and asked him to forgive. Hey, Dad was experimenting. I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? It is what it is. Please forgive me, you know? Um, but they were in a lot of trouble. But they didn't know they were in trouble. Sometimes we tend to think trouble is that thing that's out there waiting, that great trial that's coming. But we, we don't realize that, that outside of God, like, there's just trouble, trouble, trouble. And we, we, we cease to see the, the prevailing nature and certainty of trouble uh, put plainly, brothers and sisters, it's everywhere, it's in everything, and it's inescapable. It's everywhere, it's in everything, and it's inescapable. 
When you're single, you get married because you want to escape the trouble of singlehood. Then you get into marriage and there's trouble. And then you, you want to have kids because you want to be like Genesis 1 and populate. And then there's trouble. And, 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 and there's, there's this trouble. It's inescapable. And, and we're, we're longing for the age to come because we are created to live in a world without trouble. But we have trouble in this world and we're longing for it. But it's, it's literally inescapable. And I, I love the people who like eat grass and drink water straight out of the mountains and, you know, breathe separate air than we all do, you know what I mean? And, and they're anti-everything and they're all this kind of stuff, but trouble's just awaiting for them as well. It's just a reality. So when God says that he's our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble, I want you to see the, the, the full scope of this. And the last thing I'll say, just in terms of introduction, is when we think about God and the Bible and trouble, it's, it's, it's almost laughable because Genesis 1 and 2 have no trouble in it. And then Genesis 3, trouble comes. And then all the Bible does is just talk about trouble for hundreds and thousands of years. And then you got to get all the way to the end of the book in Revelation before the trouble stops. And it's only because it begins to describe the age to come where there is no trouble and there is no death and there is no tear and there is no loss. There are none of those things. So when you think about your Bible, the Bible that you've read from today, the Bible that you read all these stories, it's basically a book about people who are getting in constant trouble, encountering constant trouble, but they have a God who goes right in the middle of it and helps people. That's what the Bible is. It's a book about trouble and how God delivers his people sometimes out, but oftentimes through. That's what it's all about. So so please, please, um, don't buy into the anti-biblical and secular notion that if we would just all sit down and have a conversation, it would be good. How's that going? We've never lived in a generation that talks more to each other, and we're in a lot of trouble. If we could just hire, get, get taxes higher, how's that working? If we could just cut taxes, how's that? If we could just elect the right person, if we could just, the world will continue to tell you that the pathway to escape trouble is this gospel, that gospel, that Savior, and this Savior. But God already said he ain't going to be mocked. In this age, you're going to have tribulation. But take courage. There's a great assurance. Our God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. So Psalm 46, one is a great assurance for us in times of trouble, and let me tell you why. Number one, because God is the one who helps us in our trouble. That's what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. Now, when I grew up, I grew up different than my brothers and sisters. They all know how to, like, use tools and go to Home Depot and, like, buy stuff and fix stuff, and I didn't. I grew up with a bow tie and a book, you know what I mean, listening to Bach. I just grew up different. So I don't know how to fix nothing. So when things break in my house, I always call my friends and say, hey, do you know a plumber? Do you know this? Do you know that? you know this? You know what I mean? And then the real spiritual friends go, oh, I know this Christian. He's a really nice guy. I'm like, I don't need a nice guy. I need a plumber. I don't need a Christian with a van and a sticker and a cross. I need someone who can fix the leak. And last time I checked, leaks aren't preferential. 
They'll leak on a Christian and they'll, they'll leak on a pagan. They don't care. A leak is a leak. I need a good plumber. And if he's a Christian, that's cool, but I need a good plumber, right? And so when we encounter trouble, what do we do? We look for a specialist. We look for a specialist, somebody who knows what they're doing, right? But it just so happens that God is really good at helping us in trouble. If you had a parent or a loved one or a son and daughter and they needed a surgery and you took them to the surgeon for the preview and you sat them down and the surgeon walked in and says, oh, I'm so excited to do this. This will be my first ever heart transfer. I'm so excited about that. Most of you would be go, oh, thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Do you have a reference? I don't want to be your first. Why? Because we tend to think that if someone has experience in something, they've gained competency. We tend to think if someone's worked in the field, we want the person to walk in and say, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've done 800 of these. I'm board certified. I'm all that. And you go, oh, that's good. You actually know what you're doing. You can actually perform this. Have you considered who the Lord God is? He's been around for thousands of years. This is all he's been doing is fixing our problems. All he's been doing is walking with people, men and women and boys and girls, through trouble. He's really good at it. He's been doing it forever. There's not a problem God hasn't seen. God isn't coming up with your problems Go, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. The internet's down. How can I possibly help these people? I don't know what to do. I've never seen a pandemic before. I don't know what to do. I've never seen political turbulence. I don't know what to do. I've never seen racial tensions. I've never seen wars. My people have never been refugees. My people have never been poor or marginalized. My people have never been powerless. God has experienced all of that. Any type of trouble you can imagine, God's been there. That's the redemptive sketch. So when the Bible says God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble, this is a great assurance because the one who's helping us has a history of helping people. And a lot of problems God helped people were are a lot bigger than your problems. And those of us who know Scripture know this. This is a great assurance for us. Why? Because the one who helps us is God. He's eternal. He's powerful. He's all wise. He, he's, full of, he's full of mercy and compassion and patience. He's transcendent. He's not trapped into the laws of this age. He's the Almighty. He's the Alpha and Omega. Omega. He's the creator of all things, and all of our natural laws don't hold him back. He's an amazing God who throughout history has done nothing but help people. It's what he does. It's who he is. But secondly, this is a great assurance and a great promise because God always is present in our trouble. That's what the text says. God is our refuge. It doesn't say he was. It doesn't say he will be if you get in trouble. It says he is. So you say, well, what if I'm not in trouble right now? No matter, God is with you. God doesn't show up. You don't call 911. God help me. God's like, I'm already here. Why are you calling on me? I'm already here. You think I left you? You think I'm like Superman or you think I'm Batman? You need to put the bat signal up there and then I come? I'm ever present. Did I not say I will never leave you or forsake you? 
See, we develop these misnomers, and you want to talk about misinformation, it, it exists in no greater field than in churches, the misinformation about God, that he's some cosmic superpower, superhero who shows up when we need him. What do you mean when we need him? He's already here. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He's made a promise. He'll never leave us or forsake us. But he's present. That's what he is. He's always there with us. And that's why this is such a great assurance. Now, some of you, I can tell, you could be my kids. You're younger. And some of, I, some of you, I can tell, you might be my parents. I don't want to offend you. Because I already told you how old I am. I know people get weird about age. You know what I mean? But here's something that I'm realizing. The older I get, the more I value presence over productivity. The older I get, I, I value presence over productivity. And this verse says God is, he is, not was and not will be, our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. It's speaking of not just the omniscience of God, the, the but and the omnipresence of God, but but his his presentness, the the I amness, the Emmanuel, God with us. It's what David wrote when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. If we were to go to Daniel, it's why he wasn't afraid to pray, because he knew if you throw me in the lion's den, God's there. If you spying on me while the windows are open, God's there. Don't matter where you put me or where I go, God's with me. It's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we ain't bowing down. Who will deliver you? It doesn't matter if he delivers us or not. God is always there. One of the best stories in the whole Bible is the story of Hagar. Hagar was a mother, a single mom, who was basically, in, in modern-day terminology, trafficked by Abram and Sarah to have a baby. And when it was no longer convenient for them, they sent her away with a few goods. And the Bible says she ran out of food and she didn't want to see her child die. So she stuck him over here and she walked over there and started crying. And the Lord showed up. And some of you know that she called God El Roy, the God who sees. You know that God is present. He always has been. He always is. That's what makes this a great promise, that God's always with us. Now, here's the thing. When we get into, promise, when we get into trouble, we think because trouble is present in my life, God can't be. Because God and trouble don't go together. It's like bad math. Now, maybe it's just me and I'm carnal, but this is what I've observed over a couple decades of shepherding people. They tend to think, if I'm going through trouble, God can't be here. Why? Because God's good and he's powerful and he's awesome. And so if trouble's there, it's because God's backed away. That's why trouble's, trouble, trouble showed up, and that's not true. God is present all the time, not just in the good things, but sometimes in the trouble times and the tribulation. And his presence is what's so valuable for us. His presence is what reminds us that we have intrinsic value. His presence reminds us that it's not our productivity that causes God to value us. It's our essence. It's our being. It's our breath. 
It's our living. It's our relationship with him. This is a great assurance because he's present with us. I told you that I've come to really value this. And that's because after you live a little bit and you hear enough sermons and you see enough churches pop up and some guys you knew become celebrity pastors and this, that, and the other, you realize that in the end, what really matters is when someone makes a commitment and they're just going to be with you no matter what. They're going to be with you in your worst days and they're going to be with you on your best, in, in your, on your best days. And the only person that, that qualifies for that is the Lord God. If we were to keep it real, 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 the truth is there are some things you can do or might do that might cause some people to say, you know what, I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. I'm going to cancel you or defriend you or get you out of my life. But we know that that humble heart that's always full of repentance and quick to ask God to forgiveness and loves God, even when they fail, God never leaves them or forsakes them. And it doesn't matter how much and, and how big the trouble that you're in, God is with you. It may not look like it, it may not feel like it, but God is there. And sometimes what the body needs to do is the body needs to remind one another of God's presence in our lives by showing up is what we do. I have a real dear friend that I met when I moved to Baltimore. Uh, some of you know him. His name is Dan Hyun. He's the Sin City missionary in Baltimore. And his daughter, Tabitha, was diagnosed with leukemia two years ago. And uh, it, it's a, it's an, he has two daughters. It's a severe and harsh trial for them. And uh, I was just thinking through this verse and thinking about how I might be present for them. Now, what I'm about to tell you, y'all shouldn't do because, you know, I don't want y'all to get in any trouble. I did it, but that don't mean you should do it. So I knew they were going through a hard time. So what I did was, um, and I told them this, what I did afterwards, is I went up to, I went to their house and I parked in front of their house. There's a spot in front of their house. And I just sat in front of their house and I just prayed in front of the house, over the house, for Dan and his wife, for the children. I just wanted to be present without being evasive, invasive. Does that make sense? There's been times when I've gone to visit people at the hospital and I didn't even go in the room. I just sat outside the room and I prayed. There's been times I've gone into the hospital, someone's sleep. I don't wake them up and go, hey, wake up, Pastor Mike's here. Isn't this the greatest thing? I've actually let them sleep and just sat with them. And then they've woken up and know, wow, you sat with me. You know, what's interesting is the people who have suffered the most and been in and out of the hospital, when they, when they talk about Pastor Mike, they don't say, oh, his sermons, oh, this, oh, that. They say stuff like, yeah, I remember when I was sick in the hospital, he was one of the only people who came and visited me. I remember when my kid died, he called me every single day for like a year after. These are the things that people remember. People will long forget all these, these, this, the productivity, but they'll never forget the presence. And this verse is a great assurance because why? It, re, it reminds you of what really matters, that the Lord God is with us. But God also is ours. That's what it says. And this is personal. It says God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. He's ours. 
This is encouraging because it emphasizes the relational nature of the help that God gives us. It's not just a transcendent principle and a transcendent truth, which it is, but it's very relational. He's your help. He's my help. He's our help. It is a relationship in which he cares about us. Anything that happens in our life is a concern for God. You know, when this verse says that God is a refuge and that he's a strength, you guys know what a refuge is. Uh, Again, being from California, it hardly ever rains, and when it does, the whole state shuts down. It's crazy just how, how we were back then. And out here, you know, it rains a lot, like hard. I remember some of my friends came out to visit, and they're like, wow, I can't believe I went to Starbucks and I came back out, and it looks like I went swimming. It was so much rain. I was like, bruh, you need a refuge. It's called an umbrella. (laughs) You don't need much umbrellas in California. I don't know why you buy an umbrella in California. You never use it. Refuge is a place where you can go and take a deep breath. A refuge is a place where you can go and you can feel safe. One of the prayers earlier today was maybe you don't feel safe and and you need a space where you feel safe. Well, God is a refuge. God is a place where you can feel safe. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, in times of trouble, it's what you need. You need safety. You don't need a governor. You don't need a restrainer. You don't need like to say, okay, what can I say and what can't I say? It's remarkable when you read the Psalms. The psalmists, they say all kind of stuff to God that we would never say because they really believe God is a refuge. They say all kinds of things to God that we would probably never say because they believe God is really safe. I can really bear my heart to God because he really is a refuge I can be like a little kid to God and I can tell him the things that I'm really feeling, really experiencing, even if they're off, and I can confess those things and know that he's a really safe place. But the Bible says he's also our strength, a great assurance for us. Why? Because he's our refuge, also because he's our strength. And you know this, trouble tends to bring weakness. Trouble impacts us not just kind of theoretically, but also physically. You feel trouble, don't you? Last night I was out taking my dog for, uh, for, for his last time out to potty. And as I was throwing the ball with him and brought to take him inside, I heard the screeching of tires and I heard that thing you never like to hear, the, the crashing of cars and all this type of stuff. And then two minutes later, the sirens come and there was this really bad accident. And like you, when you hear that noise, it does something to you, don't you? There's probably not a person in here that if you were to hear that on the street right now, it wouldn't affect you physically. I'm not just talking about mentally, but physically. And when you're in trouble, it affects you physically. And when it affects you physically, it drains you. And when you get drained, you get tired. When you're tired, you need strength. And this verse says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there to give you strength. Now, when we think about strength, it's my opinion that we often think about this the wrong way. We think about some like superhero stuff. And now I change my mind. I think the strongest people in the room are sometimes the people who just made it here. Sometimes you get up, y'all don't meet in the morning, you meet in the afternoon, but you meet. And sometimes you're like, you know what, I don't want to go to church. I know no one in here would ever think that because y'all are so so holy and saved, you know. He said, I don't want to go to church. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. 
If you're married, you get in a fight. I know nobody fights in here. I know y'all are really holy and sanctified. Nobody ever gets mad at anybody in your relationships, right? And you get so discouraged, you say, I'm not going. But you take a step. I'm not putting my clothes on. You put your clothes on. I'm not eating anything. You, you, you eat something. I'm not going to work. You end up going to work. I'm not going to pray. You end up praying. So I'm going to go to church, but I ain't going to do nothing. And you get to church, and I ain't doing nothing. And they start singing, and you start mumbling. Before you know it, you're singing, but you said you wasn't going to sing because you was tired, and you're discouraged, and you're so down. And before you know it, you're here at church, and you're participating, and you say to yourself, how did all that happen? That's God's strength. Sometimes strength is just you showing up and doing God's will the best you can. It's not always that you take on this real amazing type of phenomenal type of stuff. Sometimes it's just you waking up and you're just saying, this is another day that I get the opportunity to do God's will and God's gonna give me the strength to do it. If I did things based on how strong I feel, I wouldn't even be here right now. I wouldn't. I'd be like, I, 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 I can't do this. Like, Pastor James is hardcore. He's like a Bible guy. He wants me to show up and exegete a text at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you're supposed to be having naps, right? And, 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 and like, I'm, I'm 54, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, like strength. But God gives you strength, doesn't he? And that strength comes in forms and ways that you often miss. It's just the ability to do what God has called you to do. As we close this out, brothers and sisters, in a crowd this big, statistics would say that there's some people going through some stuff in this room. And I'm one of those sometimes make the room uncomfortable guys because, you know, I, didn't, I told you I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And when I was 17 years old, I was dating a white girl and she was Jewish and I was going to marry her and all this stuff. And her parents basically said, you can't get married because you're, bl- you're black. And I got angry. I joined the black consciousness movement. I became a rapper. Don't ask me to rap afterwards because I don't know how to rap no more. Literally, I don't know. I, don't know. I ain't done it in 40 years, so I don't know. I don't know how to do it. But a rapper. And now I was going to go be a rapper. And that, everything fell apart. I saw a psychologist, and that all fell apart. And I found myself at a beach one day with a notebook writing out how I was going to do some self-harm in the ultimate sense of the word. There's some little ears, or I'd use some other words. But you know what I mean. The type, the type of stuff that people would say, that's, that's ideation. And there I am on the beach writing out some self-harm plans. And something kept saying, go get a Bible. Go get a Bible. And my brother had recently just gotten saved. And he was talking about Jesus. And everybody was ignoring him and scared of him. And my mom was like, you got to stay away from, from that guy because Jesus will ruin your life. So back then, back in the day, we had things called bookstores where they used to cut down trees and, you know what I mean, make paper and put books in them. You went to the bookstore and you bought books. So we went to this bookstore, and I went to the bookstore, and I said, hey, um, I, need a, I need the Bible, where, where, and I need to know what Jesus said. And the lady says, oh, you need a red-letter Bible. I say, yeah, I think so, whatever. I ain't no Christian, you know what I mean? So I grabbed the book, and I flipped through, and I flipped through, and I started finding the red letters. 
And some of you Bible scholars know that the red letters start in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, where Jesus begins to have interaction with John the Baptist and, and all those types of things. And all I read were the red letters. And my, my, my theory was, I'm depressed, I've lost everything that matters to me, and I'm, I'm on the verge of self-harm. I was going to read the Bible and then do the self-harm. And then when God said, why should I let you in the, in the kingdom, what was I going to say? Well, I read the Bible. That was going to be my gospel. But as I was reading the Bible, something happened. I was reading the red letters, and I met Jesus. And there was no New Covenant Baptist Church there was no North American Mission Board. There was no BCMD. There wasn't even no Chick-fil-A. There was no, there was no internet. There was no Google, Instagram. There wasn't all these cool, suave type of Christian things and celebrity pastors and cyber churches and nothing. It was just Michael Crawford on the verge of death with a Bible and Jesus all in his room. And God saved me that summer. I was in a time of trouble, and God was my refuge and my strength. He was a very present help in time of trouble. And as I've gotten older, I tell that story more and more and more because I've realized that the type of things I'm talking about, it don't know no boundaries. In a crowd this big, statistics say somebody in this room, at least one of you, probably more than you, have been thinking some of the stuff I was thinking 30 years ago. Don't make me better. But you know, that's the type of trouble you can't talk about. Right? That's the type of trouble you can't lay on the table lest someone question your faith. That's the type of trouble you can't, you can't be open about lest someone say, well, are you really trusting the Lord? That's the type of trouble that if you say, hey man, I'm down in the dumps. That's the type of trouble that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.8 and he said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brother, about our severe trials that we endured where we were, we were persecuted and we were oppressed so much that we despaired of life itself. So when I think about this room and this verse, I think about there's probably people in this room going through some real trouble right now. And trouble tends to tell you that you're all alone and God ain't gonna help you and there ain't no resources in this room and you just need to figure this stuff out on your own and you'll be lucky to make it out of. But I'm here to remind you that God is a refuge and a strength for you and he's a very present help in your time of trouble. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. And you know, one of the things that I've done practically, you know, when I got saved, like I was in the world world, you know what I mean? It was the 80s world, but it was the world, you know what I mean? And, and so, you know, when I first went to church, everybody stood up and did all the stuff. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. I, I was sitting down, and they, were, and they were singing, I didn't know any of the songs because I was a pagan. I didn't know, right? I was a pagan. I started to learn some songs, but over the years, I've got some songs that remind me of Psalm 46.1. Some of them, you've heard of them. And I've kind of committed myself to listening to these songs often. One of them's called Another in the Fire by Hillsong. 
There's a grace when the heart is under fire, another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be in this reckoning, I know I'll never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. And the bridge says, and I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to him. I can hear the roar in the heavens as the space between where sins. I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison's walls cave in. Nothing stands between us. Nothing stands between us. And then to this day, one of my favorite songs, which is over a decade old, is by Casting Crowns. It's called Praise You in the Storm. And to this day, I still cannot listen to this song without weeping because the first line says, I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. And once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. But as the thunder rolls, I barely hear your whisper through the rain. I am with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. I'll praise you in the storm, and I will lift my hands. For you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. I don't know where you're at this morning, but God sent me to remind you that he is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in your time of trouble. We know also, brothers and sisters, that the world's in a lot of trouble. And they ain't gonna get no help from the places they're looking. So may God give this church boldness to be salt and light in the world and proclaim the only message of salvation as it was prayed earlier. And I wanna remind you as a church that as your church faces trials and tribulations, which you are, you're a very young church, you are bound to face some trials and tribulation. Some of you are sitting here today, you might not be here in six months or a year. Some of you are sitting here today, might be here for the next 30 years, but I can guarantee you this, this church is going to go through some times of deep waters. Right now, you may not need this verse, but there's going to come a day and a time where you go, oh yeah, we need to be reminded as a church, not individuals with trouble, but as a church that's going through trouble, that God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in our times of trouble. But brothers and sisters, as I, as I close, I think about the gospel in this verse. That God is our refuge and strength of very trouble. And there is no greater trouble that we are in than the trouble that comes from our sin. There's a lot of earthly troubles with disease and sickness and economies and war. But my greatest problem is not Ukraine. Michael Crawford's greatest problem is that he has sin, and he cannot atone for his sin. There's no amount of sermons he could preach or ties he could offer or righteous works he could ever give up to assuage the wrath and the justice of God on his sin-sick soul. So this verse 
is most clearly demonstrated in the gospel. Because in our greatest time of trouble, when we are in sin, God really is our refuge and our strength and a present help in trouble in the gospel. Because only in the gospel can you have real refuge. In the gospel, it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In the gospel, it says of God before you, who can be against you? In the gospel, it says who shall bring a charge against God's elect? In the gospel, it says nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is real refuge and real strength. The gospel says, Jesus said, you're in the Father's hand and nobody can pluck you out. There is an eternal security because of what Jesus has done for you if you believe in him that puts you in a place of refuge and strength. A sort of braggadociousness that will tell, say to you, bring it because nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is a confidence that we have, a great assurance, and this verse is a reminder of the gospel that our greatest trouble is sin but God has addressed that in the gospel. May the God who has called you, may the God who has gathered you, may the God who has equipped you, may the God who continues to refresh you, may he continue to speak to you. And if you're in a time of trouble, may you be reminded that he is a refuge and a strength for you in this time. May God give you peace and may he give you salvation and may he give you all the resources you need. And may we bind together as a body and be there for one another, for real, for real. I want to end by telling you that I had a woman came, come to my church um, when we were planting it. And a long story short, she has two sons. And uh, one of her sons, he got cancer. And uh, it looked like he was doing good, and now he's not doing too well. And uh, I woke up this morning, and I was actually preaching at a church in Reisterstown, north of Baltimore City, this morning. And, um, and God just laid a burden on my heart about her. And I texted her, and she said, my son, and I'm going to tell you his name. She gave me permission. Her name is Shanika. His name is Trey. She says, my son can't get out of bed anymore. He's in like palliative care. He's in hospice. There's nothing more they can do. And uh, he just asked to see his family because he's in his last days. They don't expect him to live much longer. And um, it's not about praying necessarily about some miraculous thing. It's about her knowing that we're a body. It's about me saying to you, you can take his name and her name to the throne of grace. And that's how we need to be as a body. That's how you guys should be as a body together. And you guys are doing that. I'm proud of you guys, and I'm excited, and I'm so happy to be here. May God add a blessing to his word, take it where I could never take it, and may he do some things with this word through the pathetic vessel it came through that I could never do. Grace and peace. Thank you.